Hello and welcome to episode 65 of the Destroy the Brain podcast. I'm Andy Treffenbach. Patrick Hortkamp. Jeremy Jones. And today we're actually going to do something a little different. This is the start of our, I guess, two-part St. Louis Spirits. Spirits of St. Louis. Spirits of St. Louis. <laughs> I don't know. We haven't come up with anything. But we got two spooky stories from St. Louis. Um, this one is about the Lemp family and how we think that that whole legacy is very important, not only in the St. Louis, but also to beer in general. Yeah. And uh, they're a family, if you're not familiar, which I think most people in the St. Louis area know about the Lemp family, uh, but they might not know the ins and outs, but I think a lot of people outside of St. Louis do not know about the Lemp family and their contributions into what we call American lager now. Uh, so I think it's kind of interesting. And plus, you know, it's got an interesting uh, past with their, their whole family history. So, and you know, it's October, we're trying to get spooky. So we're going to talk about some ghosts and whatnot. Uh, so we're going to kind of go over some of the history and uh, personal experiences regarding Lemp. Next episode, episode 66, we'll be talking about the Roland Doe case, which was a huge influence on The Exorcist. Yes. Yes, I'm pretty excited about that one. And that will drop uh, Halloween Eve. So so you'll get it just in time for spooky time. Mm. Even though, let's face it, October is totally spooky time. Yeah, Yeah. All month. Oh month, all month, month. All month long. <laughs> first things first, before we get started, I do want to thank everybody that played horror trivia. We had some people outside of St. Louis that played. And uh, I know we had a couple of tech hiccups, but for the most part, I think we got everything sorted out. Seemed like everybody had fun. We raised about $200 for the heavy anchor, so I'm sure that's going to help them. And uh, yeah, y'all got... Yeah, thank every- you. Everybody that played got some decent prizes out of it, but thank you everybody for your donation essentially to the heavy anchor. And uh, hopefully in 2021, we can join up in person. We'll see how that goes. (laughs) (laughs) It was really weird. I had to work. Uh, So that was just another like, yeah, that was your first horror trivia night that you didn't really work for. Right. Yeah. Um, you didn't do the, you weren't involved in the event portion. No. So it was kind of weird. Like, I'm like, oh, this is starting and I'm fucking at work. <laughs> uh, I was able to watch the last two rounds on Twitch. So that was kind of fun. And yeah. And congrats to should. Team Glazer. They, yeah. they pulled through again. Back from the grave. Yeah. I mean, they. I think they played the past few times in person, but um, I think they like narrowly lost the last couple yeah 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 but yeah they pulled through and they got their stuff and uh there will always be room for giallo and yeah. uh yeah uh, oh mother this cloth smells like death was the second place winner i <laughs> <laughs> uh, i i loved all the names that was that was the cool thing but yeah thanks again very much uh for playing uh patrick tried to play but then he bailed out <laughs> Yeah, well, I was playing with I was playing with Roger, and Roger 
could not see anything. Uh, yeah, so I think that, that was the was like, that was the biggest downfall for like if you had team members that were not in person with you. I think you're adding a delay on top of a delay. Yeah, like, yeah, so, yeah. so it got to a point where he was like asking me to send a screenshot of each question. But by the time the screenshot would send that part would, that oh, yeah. would be over. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, man, so this is not I did find something interesting because it was the first time we were using the application to run horror trivia, basically. Uh, you, so you can join a team and if, I think I said, have somebody designated as the person that does the answers, but people in that team could actually answer individually yeah. and it would take the average amount of points so i thought that was kind of interesting um i don't know if i necessarily like that or not because technically i guess like if we have a multiple choice thing of four then if you had four people as long as they pick each individual different answers then i wonder how that averages out yeah but again it is an average point system so i guess zero and 15 make i don't know (laughs) 7.5 yeah that's how averages work, right? <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, again, thank you very much for Horror Trivia Night, and uh, I'm sure the heavy anchor appreciates you as well. You can find us on Twitter at, and Instagram at Destroy the Brain, also on Facebook at facebook.com slash destroy the brain, and our Facebook group that we barely tap into, uh, facebook.com slash group slash DTB podcast. All right. With that said, we're going to go ahead and get started with the Lemp history. Okay, the Lemp legacy starts when Adam Lemp, born in 1798 in uh, Eswidge, West Germany, is what it was kind of called back then. Um, He arrived in America in 1836, and I believe he stayed in Cincinnati for a short amount of time, but he settled in St. Louis in 1838. Upon settling in St. Louis, Adam opened a mercantile at Del Mar and 6th Avenue. Uh, along with having a small grocery store, he was also producing beer and vinegar. Adam had spent quite a bit of time in Germany becoming a brewmaster. Um, making beer at a kind of small level like that was pretty common at the time. Beer was extremely regional in the 1830s. Yeah, in 1840 is when he started the Western Brewery. There's obviously some debate um, and I don't think it's very well documented who started um, German lager, right? Like in, in mm-hmm. the States. Because what's funny is American lager that you know now is essentially German lager. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think the oldest brewery, I guess, is Yingling, right? Yingling and Sons. They're the oldest still operating brewery, but okay. I don't think they're okay. the oldest um, in. There, there are certainly plenty of um, sure. What, what's places. interesting during the whole German American immigration, right in, in the late or well, eighteen thirty eight? Yeah, it it pretty much all happened around the same time, eighteen thirty eight, eighteen thirty seven, around that time, when a whole bunch of German immigrants would come over and essentially just bring kind of lager beer over to the states they weren't necessarily so beer production from english ancestry and colonizers was all ales Mm -hmm. ales were 
ales are naturally occurring um, in terms of the yeast used in them. And that is actually part of the reason the pilgrims landed was because they ran out of beer. <laughs> um, but the way they would brew beer back then, they would make, they would use the same warts or the same malted barley three times. Um, <clears throat> but so, yeah, really American consumption of beer was all ale based until the German immigration started and they were bringing, um, yeast strains made for lager with them and that's how they were able to start doing uh lagers use a bottom fermenting yeast instead of a top fermenting yeast right um and they need a cooler temperature to store at for the most part and it takes longer doesn't it or does yeah so yeah they would lagers a german word for storing and after brewing they would store them up to you know, three, six months. That's uh, like a Marzen mm-hmm. was named that because it was brewed in March and it was stored until it was time to drink for October or September. Oh, I was going to get back to Adam here. Um, that in 1840, he had moved brewing operations to a brewery and um, that was at 112th South Street. Or wait, second yeah, so I have it Sorry, as... Sorry, South 2nd Street. Yeah, 37 sec, uh, South 2nd Street between Walnut and Elm. I've got, I mean, it's... We've got the same street, we just don't have, you know, that could be what the intersection was. Back then. Trying to go back looking at maps, like... Yeah, even, it's proven a little difficult. <laughs> this whole thing called the highway interstate kind of... Really which, which is interesting because the interstate 55 is what's built above the caves. Yeah. Because one of the things that I think Adam Lemp was conscious of is that some of his fellow German immigrants that located in Wisconsin, like Milwaukee, as we'll later find out, um, Chicago, New York, they were already starting to develop uh, basically Americanizing German lager because there was there was kind of a need for the German lager, the 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 nectar of the homeland, well, essentially. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know, because there's a lot of German immigrants and they're not used to the ales. They they no. prefer lager, so there was a demand for it, right? Not just from oh, absolutely, not just from German Americans. I mean, it was it was appreciated by other Americans as well because it was different. But and it had kind of a smoother taste than ales, right? But um, I think what was interesting about Adam is that I think he saw St. Louis as more of an opportunity because it wasn't really being done here. And keep in mind, St. Louis at this point in time, you know, there believe it or not, there was a point in time that St. Louis was more popular than Chicago. And more of a city that would benefit in the future. You know, it'd be a budding city. It would be a transportation hub and all this other stuff. But obviously, I think technology kind of fell behind in St. Louis, um, which is kind of echoes some of the Lemp story once we get to Billy. But yeah, um... it, it's interesting. And also, Adam saw a natural cave system here in St. Louis 
which would help assist him in storing and brewing this beer. Actually, um, Adam is the first brewer west of the East Coast to manufacture the traditional German lager, some say. And you have to think that, you know, at a time like St. Louis was probably the furthest west metro metropolitan area, like city. Right. Compared to, you know, the... I mean, we all played the Oregon Trail, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Going out west. You died of dysentery. <laughs> but it's also like, I mean, 1848 was kind of the great wave of immigration. And I believe more than 45,000 Germans would settle in St. Louis alone between mm -hmm. like 1835 and 1860. Yeah. Which is a um, huge chunk. And I mean, kind of case in point, my last name is Triefenbach, a very German name. There were a the lot Bach, of yes. German Americans here in St. Louis. Court camp. Court camp is another one. I'm a Jones, so yeah, yeah, no money. Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. What you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but in 1842, Adam did buy land above a network of caves that is now at the known as the northwest quarter of Cherokee and Deminal Place. And from there, um, he had ice houses on the Mississippi that would take blocks of ice from the river in wintertime, and then they would transport that to the cave. But then they would have to transport the beer that they brewed at their um, South 2nd Street location to the caves. And they would install these chutes, more or less, for um, dropping uh, dropping the beer and the ice in there as well for storage. Right, because, I mean, it was pretty well known that, like you were saying in the winter, people, workers for Lemp, would actually go out to the Mississippi River and basically cut chunks of ice out of the well, river. They had, so they would use a barge to help them, and it was a for barge sure. they owned. Mm -hmm. um, so they, yeah, he had like four or five ice houses. I don't know how many other breweries i mean across the nation i mean he had ice houses well yeah but for the for this it was okay. like on the river right what's really interesting so like in 1850 right 24 different breweries were in st louis varying in size and production capacity oh yeah uh, operating in the city of st louis by 1860 10 years later brewing had become one of st louis's largest industries there was i think 30 at the time yeah it, it grew a little bit and then i know um when the english kind of took interest later in later years they bought up i think like 18 breweries just bought them out straight. yeah because they saw um, we're a jumping a little bit of head of time though if we're going to the 1860s um but in 1862, Adam dies at the age of 64, and he wills the brewery to his son, William, and his grandson, Charles Browneck, which is mm -hmm. a hell of a German name. <laughs> um, they then formed the William Lemp & Co. Company to run the brewery, but that partnership only lasts for two years 
before William buys out Charles of his share. And in that same year, he purchases the five block radius around the caves. Right. At um, what is Cherokee and 13th at the time. Which is now gone because it's 55. Well, it's, um, I mean, yeah, it's basically Demental. You, you right? It's Demental, but Demental's like, if you look where 13th is by Demental oh, yeah. on a map nowadays, like uh, the Highway Carvel. Yeah, it's, exactly. Um, so he, he starts building their newer, their, like, what would become their, you know. The brewery they're known for. Yeah. It's also, so, you know, just again to get a concept of how large and successful their brewing business was. Um, I, I mean, it was demanded. I think I got hard numbers somewhere here. Well, how he um, popularized it was that um, brewery on South 2nd had a public, a pub attached to it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's where it took off and they were really worked into improving that pub, like upkeeping it as much as they could improving it. And they only served beer there and they only served their beer where all of the, all of these other public houses were serving liquor, wine, and really liquor consumption. Spirits, yeah. Way bigger for Americans than it was for beer. Mm-hmm. Americans drank liquor up until prohibition. Like, Far outpacing beer. But that's not to say that beer wasn't no, no, unpopular. No. But so beer was kind of looked at as like, you know, like, oh, you know, if you're just drinking beer, you're kind of like taking it easy. <laughs> okay. Right. And, right. Uh, a lot just of a lot a of pubs were, you know, kind of places of ill repute. And um, I think and St. Louis more than a lot of other cities also had that strong German heritage based in it. Well, so but was that was just beer kinda, gardens as well. Yeah, but that was just kind of starting as well. Like, sure, for sure. I mean, it, it kind of um, all started around the time that Lemp, but like, you know, Adam Lemp came oh, in. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but saloons and pubs. Saloons, you know, pubs, beer gardens started to be erected, and they varied yeah. also in size. And I think that's interesting because what Adam and other German brewers were trying to do is essentially like, well, we want this family kind of feel where it's you know they wanted it more like germany where yeah, camaraderie and stuff like cult- that a culture around beer where in america it's like they're just like i mean it's kind of the same today it's like let's just get hammered yeah but it, i i also find that kind of funny because like at least now <laughs> beer gardens start to like pop up more well yeah it's um and it's almost like this whole cycle is going through again. Oh, absolutely. But just the way the brewing boom has gone again, like there's, right. you know, by the time Limp is the largest brewery in Missouri, there's 30 of them and there's well over 30 breweries in the metropolitan St. Louis area. Also, um, the, the really cool thing about William J. Lemp is he was always, and, and keep in mind, this is William J. Lemp Sr., because yes. there are multiple William Lemps, as you'll come to find out. Multiple Willies. Uh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> um, but William J. Lemp, he was always, he, he really took technology 
and innovation very seriously. Yes. And he saw that as essentially an opportunity to try to get his brand and his beer outside of St. Louis as well. Um, I mean, William J. Limp set up the Western Cable Railway Company to serve his brewery to avoid price hikes and strained relationships between the railroad managements, which keep in mind, they also had refrigerated cars on on these uh, trains to keep their beer cold because he was concerned about quality as well. Well, they wouldn't, um, until pasteurization was introduced, they had to use that to keep the right. beer from spoiling. Right. Um, and I guess uh, rail companies, they would get in arguments because they always thought they over-iced tr- trucks mm-hmm. or cars. And he just went out and, yeah, he's like started his own company. They load all up from the brewery um, grounds and go coast to coast which is crazy that yeah, it's very crazy um in 1876 they were producing 61,000 barrels yeah <laughs> and at the like at the same time they became um william became the senior became the vice president of the american brewers heritage association right and i mean the family took brewing seriously so oh yeah yeah William and uh, a couple of the other sons, like they were part of brewers associations. I think William J. Lemp was also like, I think he went to Germany and well, basically went to school there. To you know, um, I don't know if he learned how to, he probably did. Um, I think oh, later on his kid, his William Senior's kids went to um, like New York, I think. I... Yeah, so William Jr. Uh, learned the trade at the prestigious United States Brewers Academy in New York City. And before attaining like, the office of vice president at the age of 25, yeah. keep in mind, um, he was and superintendent. Then, and then Lewis, a younger brother of William Jr., was trained by some of the masters of the industry in Germany and for many years would rank with the greatest brewmasters in America. Two years after, um, in 1878, they actually brewed 100,000 barrels, which is just crazy. Yeah, and I mean, by 1892, the plant was covering like three city blocks and was putting out 300,000 barrels of beer annually. With total sales surpassing like three million, jeez, three million in eighteen ninety two dollars. That's a lot. And they were shipping internationally. Yeah, they were going to Canada, Mexico, Central America, the Hawaiian Islands, Australia, Japan, and even Hong Kong. Like, good lord, in the eighteen nineties. Like, yeah, it's pretty insane. Like, I mean, there was also, I, I mean. I know sometimes I always called it the St. Louis World Fair, but it's actually the Louisiana um, Purchase Expo, yeah. Expo, where they were, I mean, they were just like a heavy presence there. Lemp sold more bottled beer at the Louisiana Purchase Exposition than any other brewery represented. In addition, Lemp's beer was the only American beer served at the U.S. Pavilion during the Paris Exposition of 1900, 
and the only bottled beer served by the official caterers at the 1901 Pan American Exposition. Wow. It's pretty amazing that they had such a widespread for, you know, essentially what we kind of consider a St. Louis beer. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they extended their market to include Canada, Mexico, Central and South America, the Hawaiian Islands, Cuba, the Philippines, Australia, and many parts of Europe, including like London and like the major hubs. I mean, again, this is like towards the end of the 1800s, which is pretty wild. So the original, from my understanding, the original limp lager was what people would equate to your classic American lager now. Um, they can more like golden, you know, pale, like refreshing. Uh, but around this right now, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a IPA, but we're all drinking local, <laughs> locally made beer. Yeah, you know. Um, but it also has a lot to say about just the river, you know, as well, and the access to water in this city. Um, yeah, because I mean, St. Louis was, you know, and still is called the gateway to the West, but the Mississippi River definitely helped aid them in expansion. What I also found interesting is that the Lemp family, I mean, even though there was obviously brewing competition, right? Like, you still had a business to run. You didn't want to, like, just be friends with everybody. But they kind of still were friends. Like, uh, I think William Lemp was friends with Adolphus Bush, uh, one of the Lemp members. Uh, as we'll soon talk about, ends up marrying somebody in the Paps family. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy. Yeah. It, and it, I mean, I don't want to say it's probably a really crude and incorrect word or phrase Ooh. to use, but it's kind of incestuous on how much the brewing company like made sure like, okay, we obviously don't want you to marry within the family, but we want you to marry another brewing family because we but know that's them. that's that's how anheuser bush started it was exactly. uh, whatever the fuck anheuser you know um married one of the bush daughters or he married yeah no no no. he married was it adolphus married a anheuser yeah i, I think it was adolphus so, so it was like the anheuser brewing company right um and, and didn't anheuser who created the pasturation process as far as the beer was concerned well it was still louis pasteur like they all talk about it's milk but it was original application was for beer right once they discovered like you could pass like all right it works in beer they're like all right now let's do milk like yeah, beer, beer was like the the one that's like all right <laughs> does it work for this great we can do this other thing too sure whatever well, I think it was the like pasturation and bottling process that got perfected by Anheuser-Busch or Anheuser, I should say. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it. I have not brushed up on my AB history in a while, but uh, I mean, they were instrumental too. It's like these two, you know, they were basically the whole time Limp was skyrocketing. They were close on their heels as number two. Exactly. And I mean, this is all in St. Louis, too. That's, yeah. That's the more interesting thing is even though Lemp and... And those you know, breweries the, aren't that far from each other, either. No, uh, they are totally uh, not. Uh, 
but still... the way the way the city was laid out back what the size of the city was back then to what it is now which i know seems kind of goofy but you know limp was like really far south yeah it was the outskirts of the city but um you know those networks of i was gonna mention this area, <laughs> but those caves are all over that area um by the limp brewery i mean there are caves that probably extend that extend west of jefferson oh yeah um you look at somebody like earthbound brewing who moved into the old cherokee street brewery building at uh cherokee and jefferson right and i guarantee the people that did the loggering caves you know remodeled the, those natural caves for limp moved down the street and did it for cherokee street um there's some really good ar article from st louis magazine that has some of the pictures from when they were re uh having that building we can post a link to yeah we'll put a link in the yeah, show yeah. notes there will probably be a lot of links there's a lot of a lot of a lot of citing your sources yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so then what what uh so aside from i mean changing the name of beer for america why else do people talk about the lamps <laughs> so yeah and more importantly like okay why are we spooky? talking about them yeah yeah so the lamp family uh unfortunately is a tragic story where um, multiple suicides happened in the Lemp uh, family. Four suicides, in fact, and most of them were executed by a 38 revolver, which is also kind of strange. Um, but, I, you know, the, the big thing, like nowadays, is the Lemp Mansion, which is a place where it's... I don't want to say it's a bed and breakfast. It's, it's not. It's a restaurant... But you can also stay the night. I've done a few ghost tours there, um, which I think we can end cap with uh, some of some of that stuff. But uh, so William Jane Lamp, right, uh, is pretty much kind of the the guy that really put the wheels in motion. I think as far as the development of um, technology and using you know refrigerated pipelines and like mm -hmm. just trying to keep everything cool. And trying to provide the best beer to a customer, essentially the freshest beer. I think there was a phrase that said it, it comes straight from the brewery to the bottle. And a lot of that was done with the innovation of this refrigerated pipeline and the cave system. Uh, also in the caves, they did obviously utilize it as their kind of underground playground of sorts. And there was like a... When did they... Sorry, when did they build their mansion? It was built in the 1860s. So okay, so yeah, that was yeah. That, that's a big decade. I mean, that's a big yeah, big decade for them for buying up the from Adam dying and buying the property around the brewery, so they don't have to waste money transporting from their original location to the caves to building the house. Like that's huge. Also, right. the stables that are built across the street from them for transporting beer. Yeah, because some of, you know, um, Adam Lemp's sons, or, or more specifically, I think William Lemp's sons, William Lemp was also into horses, but definitely his sons were into horses and athleticism and hunting. 
But the uh, according to LimpMansion.com, the the Lemp Mansion was built in the early 1860s and was subsequently purchased by William J. Lemp Sr. as a residence and auxiliary brewery office. Just because, you know, I mean, it was so, so damn close to the brewery and like literally, you know, the thing that we dream of, right? Well, back when we used to go to the office. Well, Patrick, you go to the office and Jeremy works. I, I don't I work in the office. <laughs> I guess I'm the... Yeah, I'm the odd man out. I work from home still, but lucky you know, it, it's it's nice to have like a walking commute. To, <laughs> well, <laughs> to yeah, it off. it's but it's also think of how massive that operation was at that time. Like he, for sure, you know, I think there was he like, understood like something that big. You want to keep an eye on it. You don't want to live, you know. 20 minute buggy you, ride <laughs> i mean just yeah. to also like keep up with the demand because again they were so popular you're talking i believe in their heyday of this uh of limp was like 700 employees they had just at the brewery yeah and 600 other employees just kind of spread out as far as the distribution angle mm-hmm so yeah it i mean limp beer was a big deal and for a long time more popular than Anheuser-Busch or Budweiser, which would later come. I mean, the big, the big downfall of Lemp and what caused this is even though William J. Lemp Sr. was very innovative and tried to keep ahead of technology, um, Billy Lemp, who took over, kind of didn't. And I think... Well, why did Billy limp take over so i'm talking about the deaths and that's what people are here for (laughs) (laughs) well billy limp i mean so uh, okay let's rewind a little bit year is 1901 1901 is when frederick limp who was a son to william senior dies and it's kind of tragic how this all happened heart failure yeah but it's it's sad because uh, he was born in 1873 he marries in 1898, so relatively young. Yeah. Um, and then he just didn't feel right. He complained about feeling ill and moved from St. Louis to California for a change in environment and weather. And it seemed to help. And, and the Lemp family would go out and visit him and say, oh, yeah, it looks like you're doing better. And then uh, Frederick moved back and uh, his condition didn't get better. Um, what it came you would come to find out is that he actually had a lot of ailments and ended up dying uh in december of 1901 because of heart failure now the i i know we talked previously about the lump family you know being friends with adolphus uh adolphus bush and um i think he was just called the captain captain fred pabst Perhaps new ribbon, right? Um, 25 months after Frederick's death, Frederick Lemp's death, Frederick Pabst dies. And the combo of Frederick Pabst and his, his son, Frederick Lemp, damages William Sr. And essentially, uh, in February 1904, William shoots himself with a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver in the temple. And... Ew. 
I'm, I'm, you know, most of the research I did was from Stephen P. Walker's book, Lemp, The Haunting History, which I highly recommend. Um, I will say that it, it definitely doesn't jump into a lot of the ghost stuff or it, it's mainly about the brewery company, but uh, it's very interesting as far as like the reference of St. Louis, but he kind of alludes to William shooting himself in the temple and possibly surviving, which I don't know about that because there was a lot of blood loss. Yeah. And what's also weird is William Lemp shot himself, but nobody was near him. Servants essentially heard the shot, came running, found that he was on the floor in a pool of his blood, but was still breathing, but unconscious. So uh, apparently they made, you know, a few phone calls, got some doctors in there, and the doctors are like, yeah, he's dead. But the book almost alludes to, like, they made a false assessment. And I don't, I don't know if I really buy into that. Hmm. Huh. You shoot yourself in the temple. It, it's not going to be, I mean, it might not be quick and painless, but yeah, it, it's but... pretty much a surefire way to die. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, that that was in February 1904 is when he does that. And then, you know, um, that that's William Sr. And then William Jr., also known as Billy, uh, he is married to Lillian, who is also known as the Lavender Lady, which Ooh. for a long, you know, it sounds, look, I'll be honest. It's, when I first heard about the Lemp history, I was like, when when I heard about the lavender lady, my mind went straight to Lady in White. I'm yeah. Like, oh shit! Who's the lady? She haunts the mansion. She has a lavender quality, but it, it's not, not like widow's walk for her. So <laughs> it's not it's not that at all. She apparently liked uh, the color lavender and wore it constantly, much to Billy's chagrin. Apparently, um, because another thing that happens about five years after you know, William commits suicide is that Billy and Lillian get divorced and it, the, the, it's a huge court case. Like this is like the drama of the century uh, for St. Louis. The courthouses are packed. It takes, I thought they, I, I think they expected like a two day ordeal and it took way longer. I think like three or four, or maybe a week. I can't remember, but it, it took a while. And Billy, they were at, they were at each other's throats, essentially. Uh, Lillian accused Billy of a lot of abuse, physical, mm-hmm. and uh, infidelity. Uh, he would, you know, stay out late and come home drunk and just beat the shit out of her. There's one documented case uh, as far as, like, her getting beat up by him, according to Lillian, of course, because Billy yeah. no, I'm not, I didn't do that. How dare I? Why would I hit the mother of my child and all this other stuff? But apparently, like, just beat the shit out of her in the bathroom and then left. It's Billy was not a nice guy. And I think that's also kind of somewhat important to a damaged history when you're talking about hauntings. Because I think somebody that's violent also leaves a residence uh, with a building. Mm. And I think a lot of violent stuff just rings a little harder um, if you're talking about residential hauntings. 
And I think, you know, I mean, we might touch base on that in the exorcist story. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we will uh, just knowing, I, I mean, I'm not a total expert at either of these subjects, but uh, I'm, I guess I know a little bit more about lamp and um, than the Roland Doe case. Okay. I'll, I'll just say that that's, that's where Patrick Ro- Roland share. Doe case is basically right away. Yeah. Supernatural, supernatural, supernatural. Right, right. Um, but Billy marries uh, a second wife in like 1915, so six years after the divorce. Now, Billy is also the guy kind of behind a lot of the cave parties. I know, I think Billy and Louie, uh, another son of William J. Lemp Sr., um, they were very socialites, and so was Lillian. Uh, Lillian wasn't, you know, she got into the family, the Lump family, by mm-hmm. marriage through Billy, but she was a very well celebrated socialite, um, talked highly about uh, among her peers and all sorts of stuff. But um, you know, looking at the family tree from Stephen Walker's book, William Lump had many many family members um and here's the uh, there was an infant in 1862 that was born uh, or no the death of the infant was in 1862 not really well documented but um then there's this william senior's child yeah this is william senior uh that's a that's a bad thing about the the limp family they have three williams in the family well let's just say senior junior yeah the third or senior Billy and the third. Let's do that. Um, so then you have uh, Anna Lemp. You have William J. Lemp Jr., also known as Billy, who's the one we're talking about right now. And he married Lillian Hanlon, who was the socialite. Uh, Louis Lemp, Charles A. Lemp, Frederick W. Lemp, who is the guy who died in 1901 from the heart failure. Hilda Lemp, who is the person that ends up marrying gustav papst yeah and getting into that family I'm sorry did you say ghost stuff gustav oh ghost stuff ghost stuff huh let's have a ghost stuff uh edwin lemp and elsa lemp who is uh you know i mean out of those people four of them committed suicide which is wild it's so weird and um, only one of them left a note too that's somebody and well let's let's go in order of suicides yeah because i I, I have some questions you have have questions we've talked that we're we're kind of jumping all over the place sure okay so um i mean the first death in the family is frederick limp who dies of uh heart failure uh after that William J. Lemp, who is, you know, struck in by his friend. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Captain um, Pabst. And his son, Frederick, dying. So William J. Lemp Sr. commits suicide. Then you have um, Julia Lemp dies two years after, who is the widow of William. So not too far after. And then in 1909. Well, and K- so I'm sorry. Like, I know I keep trying to cut you off, but maybe we should talk about going, what's going, who took, 
I know you said it earlier. Who took over the business after William died? Billy? So, yeah, William J. Lamp Sr. Uh, commits suicide in 1904. And then yeah. Billy Jr., right? Uh, William J. Yes. Lamp Jr. takes over uh, not, not too far after. So, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm curious as like what, what he's fucking up at that time. So because during and during this time too, you know, around after his divorce in 1909, you have the temperance movement picking up in America and the mm-hmm. anti-saloon league being founded where you know, it's also coincides with women trying to get the right to vote. Right. Um is coinciding with all this basically the trying to shift the culture of drinking in America and um it just seems like Limp can't, the Limp Brewing Company can't keep it together. Well, and a lot of that is Billy's fault. Mm-hmm. And, and Billy knew that towards the end. He realized where he kind of fucked up. But at that point, by the time he realizes it, he just doesn't care. Because you're oh, also, yeah. no, by he's... the time he realizes it, is also right around prohibition. Yeah. So, of and it course, sounds he like doesn't he's just care. being a major hedonist as well. Like, for sure. Living and, it up. I mean, he, which is not uncommon for these brewing families, for sure. Um, and keep in mind, locally, you know, the St. Louis Zoo is founded in 1913, so you're starting to get more of a development in St. Louis. Um, Prohibition starts in 1920, technically, right? I think uh, it was like it's January like, 17th, 1920. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I'm not. It's either the seventeenth or sixteenth. I'm pretty sure on the yeah. The month I thought day. it was around nineteen nineteen. Um, well, I think it started to gain momentum, but I the think 18th, it the eighteenth amendment isn't put into effect until until nineteen twenty because right. you had up until then you could buy as much alcohol, you know, as you you could buy all the alcohol you wanted up until prohibition became law so it probably did happen in january because you know for rich people they're like fuck this i can buy whatever i want and keep it where you know poor people were not able to stockpile but also keep in mind that you know prohibition starts in i mean the 18th amendment is essentially enforced in the oh yeah in 1920 but in 1918 lent brewery ceases their beer production mainly because Billy is not keeping ahead with the technology unlike his predecessor because yeah. Billy, I mean, he's still at, at this point in time, the brewery is definitely showing its age. There are new technological inv- advances that aren't being picked up. Like refrigeration yeah. starts coming in around this time. Well, um, you know, senior didn't even want Billy taking over the company. Frederick was supposed to be right. Frederick was supposed show. to, and and I think that's what really that, along with Paps dying, yeah, were really the catalyst behind William Senior's um, suicide. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, Frederick was definitely the favored son for sure. Yeah, and um, I believe he also went to that brewing uh, association in New York and learned as well. Um, seeing the son kind of fuck it up. And them like 
how they stumble makes me think of another St. Louis brewery we've mentioned uh, many decades later, and that's Anheuser-Busch. Yep. And how they completely left themselves open for buyout. Uh, but that's a whole other story. Right, <laughs> right, right. And I don't think Billy... At least we don't know he hasn't killed two women, unlike other people. But no, <laughs> but he was. Uh, it was also like some of that divorce that happened, right? Billy was. Oh yeah. Um. So, the uh, Lillian was very Catholic. Um. And I think the lamps came out of Lutheran. I think okay. they were Lutheran, but Billy Lutheran's was, like Catholic light. Kind of, yeah, but I mean, if you totally, it's fine. It, I know. I mean, granted, I'm not a very religious person, but nah, Catholics and Lutherans don't really get along, as far as I remember. It's there's. Uh, I mean, oh, oh, this is no, where Patrick please. needs to come in. Yes. Oh yeah, theologian Patrick. Uh, I mean, there's differences as far as I think a lot. I think a lot of that actually goes back to like the the medieval times yeah you know because the lutheranism can comes from luther who disagreed with what the catholic church was doing back then as far as like indulgences and if you pay an indulgence you know that'll get you this great spot in heaven and you know he saw a lot of the flaws with that and so but besides that like as if you look at modern lutheranism and modern catholicism it's actually quite similar yeah it's yeah there's well, no... and i i know i made the joke that it's catholic white but um i was raised protestant and just from friends who are lutheran and friends who are catholic they seem to be pretty cl- close enough to someone like me who doesn't understand a lot of that yeah um Man, we're gonna start getting on religious on this. No, yeah, but <laughs> no, that's okay. No, 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 no. Just like if that's where uh, it the, leads, ne- the next like... episode we will. <laughs> but Billy, oh, I mean, well, so, yeah. <laughs> so Billy apparently kind of fell out of the religion of his, you know, parents, yeah. essentially, and really didn't want his son, um, William the Third, being raised with any religion, and apparently. Uh, Lillian actually got him, got the son baptized behind his back, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, And, you know, I mean, Billy also alleged that Lillian was promiscuous and having affairs and infidelity. Yeah. There was like an infamous pen pal note that he, he found and photographed. Keep in mind, like, oh my is, god, back then, yeah, back took then, three like, minutes holy to take shit. that picture. Yeah, <laughs> he took it like to his brewery office, got it photographed, and put it back where he found it so she would never know. And in fact, she never knew about this letter or him discovering this letter until the court trial when he brought wow. it up. And he's because apparently Billy like came prepared with hard documentation and had. I think a hundred and twenty-eight page deposition, essentially. He came with receipts. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, "Well, this is why my wife's a hussy," <laughs> even though you know I think Lillian 
stated until her dying breath that she never cheated on him or anything. But yeah, I mean, just because he like, and that's the thing, yeah. But many people have claimed that Billy was pretty much a womanizer, and you know, look. He had an ego. He came from a wealthy family because the limps were well. And that's well what's off. kind of interesting too is that when Adam, you know, Will, Billy is third generation. Yeah, really, like first generation American because his dad was born in Germany. Um, but you know, Adam died successful, but he was not a millionaire. Uh, William did become a millionaire yeah william william j lump senior so it's just interesting how quick he's like uh like money changes you i guess yeah and i mean some of that you know some people can look at billy and be like yeah well he just defied his brother or, or his brother his father and just you know thought everything was handed to him and he just squandered mm-hmm. everything and that was the deal i mean honestly that was the deal and, you know, when he got divorced in 1909, you're talking about essentially 11 years later when Prohibition starts. Yeah. But in 1919, you know, the, the plant closed permanently because, yes. and the workers apparently just showed up for work and it was closed. There was no notice. Um, Billy, at one point in time, was pretty involved. Uh, he tried to kind of pick up the mantle that his father his father mm-hmm. was very involved in the business and would constantly go to the brewery and try to help out and basically show his employees, like, I can do any job under this yeah. factory. I'm just busy, you know? I'm busy running this company, but I can do anything, and I will do anything to do this, as opposed to Billy, where everything was handed to him. And yeah. granted, he tried to do that, and he learned the business. I'm not saying he didn't learn the business, but he wasn't as successful. And it, and again, I think, I think he had some other things on his mind. He was uh, he was a documented drunk, and womanizer, and you know, I mean, he didn't worry about the brewery. It wasn't his yeah. passion, and uh, he is pretty much the downfall for, uh, for the Lemp Brewery closing. I mean, it wasn't necessarily prohibition that killed it. It just conveniently happened right before Prohibition. Yeah. Prohibition didn't help it to come back, but yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty much done deal before Prohibition hit. Now, William Jr., so Billy's sister, Elsa, who was actually considered, this is kind of the interesting thing because we're, we've been talking about how the Lemp family and other breweries kind of marry into other brewery families and uh, Elsa was actually totally single and on the prowl. Uh, she was actually considered one of the wealthiest heiresses in St. Louis. And I believe she, there was a clause in one of the uh, wills that uh, if she got married, she got like an extra like $500,000 or something crazy like that. Um, which she did eventually marry. Yeah. But uh, it was, I, I believe it was a very short period of time. I, I want to say it was, let me look here. Uh, married to Thomas Wright. And yeah, it was just a few years and they divorced. And then Elsa is the second person in the Lemp family to commit suicide. This one did not happen at the Lemp mansion. Uh, unlike the 
William Sr. suicide mm-hmm. that happened at the Lunt Mansion in his office. Or actually, I think uh, William shot himself upstairs in his bedroom. Yes. Elsa, Elsa just committed suicide. But here's the weird thing. How did she commit suicide? 38 revolver. It's wild. And it gets, I mean, it, it, there's more commonality, too, <laughs> later down the line. But, um, yeah, on, like, June 28th, 1922, the, the Lemp Brewery, which was once valued to be, like, $7 million and covered 10 city blocks, was sold at auction to International Shoe Company, not to be confused with International House of Pancakes, for $588 thousand dollars that's awful but that's that also shows you how bad that brewery was and how far in the decline billy got it at it's just awful and most of the company's assets were liquidated yeah um something with the beer history we haven't really mentioned is that um one of the beers they produce falstaff Mm mm-hmm Oh uh, well, no. This is actually happens like no. Right this is a good that. segue. The yeah, same yeah. year, yeah. Um, so Falstaff was Papa Joe? one of their most popular uh, brands to the point where it was beating like you know pre pro. Well, no, never mind. Um, the uh, and this is actually how you say it, the Greasy Dick Brothers. Excuse me. Yep. I That's have really met, how you say it. Greasy I have dick? met, and I have met the I have met some greasy dicks, and that is how you say it. Because the first thing I ask is, "How do you say it?" Everybody, clip that where he said <laughs> he's met some greasy, greasy dicks. It's either greasy dick or greasy dick. And <laughs> yep, um, they bought the rights to Falstaff, so they were producing that up through you know, um. So it was being produced, I think, through the 80s. Maybe even the early... I think it was actually up until like the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if it was by them that whole time, but I believe they still hold rights to it. Well, they they secured the the name, the Falstaff name, and the Shield yeah. logo. Uh, I think the total price... Well, it says the total price was $25,000. Greasy Dick, uh, Papa Joe Greasy Dick. Um would pay $5,000 cash and the rest within a few months. Um, kind of nutty. It's going to say you don't get in my line of work in this town and don't meet a couple grease dicks. Know what I mean? <laughs> hey. uh, uh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Elsa ended up uh, create, uh, committing suicide, which is uh, a shame, but it, it wasn't at the Lump residence. But she is the second suicide. And uh, according, like straight out of this book, from uh, Stephen Walker's book, which, again, highly recommend you checking out, Elsa brothers, uh, Elsa's brothers, Edwin and William Jr., also known as Billy, rushed to the home as soon as they heard about the shooting. Upon his arrival, Billy commented on his sister's untimely death, stating simply and ironically, quote, that's the Lemp family for you, end quote. Which is oh, interesting man. because, like, you're only talking about two suicides, but then we would have another two suicides later down the line. And this was in, uh, yeah, uh, March 1920 that Elsa committed suicide. 
And then not too far after that, in December of 1922, Billy commits suicide by shooting himself in the chest in his office. Man, in the chest, like... Yeah, apparently he unbuttoned his vest and just shot himself. So was he the one... And this was right after um, the brewery sold at auction. Yeah, the the, uh, public auction was in June earlier that year in 1922. Was he the one who also shot his no that's charles that was charles okay so okay yeah charles is the last one to go in the uh lemp uh lemp legacy okay but but again just to echo billy committed suicide by shooting himself with a 38 revolver yeah it's nuts you're talking every suicide here is done by a gun it's not done in a dramatic way or a cry for attention, it's done with I a think fucking it, revolver. And now, granted, the only difference here is that Billy was known to kind of carry a sidearm with him at all times. Yeah. Even though, like, it would even come up in the divorce case with Lillian that, uh, you know, she would mention, like, he would just carry it everywhere. And he'd constantly yeah. pull it out. Ooh. Uh, pull out the gun <laughs> he would constantly pull out the gun and threaten uh-huh. people with it and threaten her with it and uh i think in court they asked him like okay why are you brandishing a gun in public and he's like well you know i'm i'm the president of a brewing company and i weigh 120 pounds he's got a lot of energy <laughs> <laughs> it was like well means he talks shit and he can't back it up exactly so if the lump story was an amityville story <laughs> oh the, that gun would be none of them are defeos what, though, what, what like... would that what would that title be like if you know it's, it's not a clock it's a gun Amity. oh well well it'd be Part of the curse collection with the gun. Yeah, right? so it'd be the curse collection <laughs> with the gun, which the the way they tie in the mirror in the new generation is kind of interesting to them. Um, <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Billy committed suicide in 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 the office of the Lump Mansion, so he is the second suicide in the Lump Mansion, or what we know as the Lump Mansion. Yeah. Um, so just to kind of fast forward a little bit, because I'm sure, you know, there, there's not too much. Charles Lemp, who really wasn't involved in the business as much as his, you know, previous kin, um, like his father and, you know, his grandfather and all that. Um, but he carries the tradition and is the final suicide in the Lemp Mansion. By what do you think? A thirty-eight caliber revolver, and yes, he is the guy that also shoots his own dog, because his dog came in right when I think he was about to commit suicide. What and he didn't want to witness? Like what the fuck? No, I think I'm pretty positive that he was just like, "Oh, nobody's going to take care of my dog," and shot his dog, and then shot himself, oh. which is very sad. Yeah. I mean, it's sad in general, but it's even more sad when you take your dog out. Yeah. My God. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, um, you know, Billy shot himself in the in the same building that his father died in 18 years ago. And it's just like, 
obviously when you have three suicides in a building and they're done violently, right? Um, stories abrew. And I think that's where the morbid curiosity for St. Louis comes into play where they're like, okay, if any place is haunted, it's got to be the Lemp Mansion. There's three suicides here. Now, uh, mm -hmm. also just kind of step away for a second. Uh, William Lemp uh, the third was 42 and he died of a heart attack. Um, you know, Charles was a very bitter man as well uh, and was very reclusive, unlike the socialite status of, of uh, previous family members we mentioned. But um, his body was also discovered by his brother, Edwin, who is pretty much the last of the, the Lemp legacy that we're talking about. Edwin died in 1970, but guess what? He died of natural causes because he was 90 fucking years old. So thank God for that, Edwin. You made it out. You didn't commit suicide. You weren't part of this tragic legacy. But, um, okay, so that catches you up to speed with the history. Let's talk about some of our personal experiences. From what I understand, both of you guys have never really done the ghost tour, but you've been to the Lent Mansion. I, yeah, I, you know, um, first time I went was I, in high school. My went with my family and did the... Because it is a, uh, like, I don't know if they're still doing kind of the murder mystery setup or if it is, like, uh, who knows now right? for dinner. Well, yeah, but at that time they were doing like an hour-long murder mystery where, you know, there was a murder that the audience would, they would present the clues and the audience would solve. Um, turns out my mom solved it. Won a free Ooh. bottle of wine. Fuck yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then we went on a tour of Lemp Mansion. I don't know if it was necessarily the ghost tour, but they definitely play up the, you know, haunting, haunted aspect of it. So, I mean, one of the, was Betsy there? I don't, okay. I don't know. So Betsy Burnett Berlin, Bellinger, I think. Uh, she's a historian and a paranormal investigator, and she's usually the host or was the host when I used to go. I've been on the ghost tour probably about five times at, at the very least, and um, she was always the host. And it, the ghost tours would usually start in the main kind of dining room area, and you would go through room by room, go upstairs. Um, so you, the first room you encounter outside of the dining room is is the office that yeah. few people committed suicide in. And um, for me, look, I've been on this tour, like I said, at least five times. I've seen different variations. There, I've been on the tour when we were able to go up in the attic. And we'll talk about why the attic is somewhat important and it's kind of I mean, undocumented. Yes, that tour was, I mean, we went, we did go up in the attic. I do remember that. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that's, that's the third or fourth floor. I forget, but um, it doesn't matter. Uh, so yeah. I've been on the ghost tour five different times. It's not the same thing every time. Okay. It's not staged in any way, shape or form. And I'll be honest with you. Uh, I'm pretty much a skeptic for the most part. I, I like to believe there are spirits out there. And I believe in things like energy, 
mainly more in energy than like spirits. I think I I would say, but, um, I think I'd been, I I know I've been on this ghost tour more than five times because I want to say that I've been on it a few times with my friend Heather, probably in the late nineties to early two thousands. And then, uh, I went on a tour with, um, my ex-wife and we look my ex-wife was a magnet for this shit okay Mm -hmm. and it was the first time that i could say shit that happened it wasn't in my head there's no possible way it was in my head so we were in the office and we were talking uh betsy was talking telling the whole history about the office and about Billy and, um, you know, William that committed suicide. And she's telling this whole thing. And I look over and my ex-wife is focused on this fucking chair. Okay. Just mm-hmm. focused on it. And I'm like, what the fuck are you looking at? And she's like, that chair's moving. I'm like, what? I look at the chair and I see it wobble and it stops. I'm like, oh shit. That's never happened on any of the tours. So I know this isn't really staged. Yeah. I'll come back and investigate it. But I also know it wasn't my imagination because not only did she see it, but she said it loud enough when she was like, that chair is moving that other people saw it as well. So like pretty much half the room saw this chair wobble and it wasn't just like, it wasn't a slight movement. It was a wobble. And Betsy kind of saw it. And she's like, what's going on? Because she thought she saw it, but she wasn't sure. And, you know, my ex-wife says, oh, yeah, that chair wobbled. And she's like, come talk to me after. Oh. <laughs> so, okay. so anyway, and then we do the rest of the tour and nothing happens. There was another incident where we did the tour and we went up in the attic. Now, this part is very undocumented. You could look online and probably find some stuff on it. Um, and... Look, the first time I heard about Zeke Limp is probably back in the Stephen DC days. Uh, I think it was 106.5 was the, the station they were on. And they did a couple of Halloween broadcasts. Uh, there was also before, I think now it's called, what, the Abyss at Limp Brewery? Mm. Uh, before that, it was, just yes. Limp, it was just Limp Haunted Breweries. And I went to that as well. And we legitimately went down in a fucking freight elevator and went through the caves like part of part of the actual caves and i'll tell you like when i went even though i was young this was probably like 90 91 i felt uneasy and i like to think that i'm pretty in tune with my senses that it wasn't just a foreign place to me or anything like that like something happens when you go down to a place and you just feel the air kind of taken out mm-hmm. of you, I'm like, mm-hmm. that's exactly the feeling I felt. And while they mimicked and kind of like recreated some of the rooms, like one was the theater room and you had to walk down the theater aisle past like these skeletons that were in the yeah, chair, yeah. which was also freaky, but I knew like, Oh yeah, this isn't the actual theater and all that stuff. Because when I was younger, I was also reading into limp stuff. Um, which is funny because I had to reread the same fucking book to kind of, I don't know. I, I don't think my comprehension was all that great back in the day, but 
it was it was scary and um now it's kind of more run by the people that run like creepy world and um the darkness so it's more commercialized and it doesn't take i don't even think it even really takes place underground at all because those caves are all closed off they they when they opened it as the abyss at least the first year you could you would go into the caves because you know they're like you'll be put into pitch black darkness right 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 but um yeah to kind of rewind back you know in the 90s that was that was the thing was like actually both of these places for radio halloween radio broadcasts you'd hear about the lamp some places Mm -hmm. in alton alton illinois is also a very haunted area as well um i've been there personally on ghost tours i haven't really experienced too much but i don't doubt that alton's not haunted right and then also the exorcist case in regards to the exorcist house, which we mm-hmm. talked about Dave Glover. Um, but Stephen DC also did some lump stuff. Now, according to see which we'll put, we'll put in the show notes uh, in 1983, Stephen DC, two radio disc jockeys from KWK. I don't know what the fuck that is. KWK. KWK call. Mm. Um, held a K-O-K. Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> held a Halloween broadcast from the Lemp Mansion. During that broadcast, they asked the most basic question of any paranormal investigation, quote, is anyone with us? After asking the question, their microphones picked up an EVP that says, I am Zeke. We haven't talked about Zeke, mainly because he is not really well documented. And the, the main reason why people think he's not very well documented is he is also... The or he is allegedly the illegitimate child of the Lent family, most likely a love child between Billy and some woman. So the the myth goes that his mother was possibly a prostitute, and Zeke was mentally disabled uh, and physically deformed, and they kept him chained up on the third floor of the Lent mansion, which I think around the time I heard this. I also saw the Simpsons episode where you had Bart <laughs> in the attic. I'm like, Bart's oh my God, twin? It's, yeah. it's fucking Zeke. But it what also, was his name? What was his name? Uh, shit. I forgot. I just watched this episode. Um, I don't know. Do you know it? Hugo. Hugo. That's right. Um, but I also, you know, when I, when I saw that episode, I'm like, well, maybe the Zeke bullshit is exactly that and it's like an urban legend right and some people do say it is an urban legend some people say it's not all i can say is that betsy took us up there and talked about zeke and said that there's not a lot of documentation on him but uh i have contacted him or somebody who has said that they are zeke up here and we used to do dark room sessions we'd go up in the attic all lights are off and i've (laughs) seen some weird shit up there but I always kind of equated it to either my imagination or I would see light and maybe I'm seeing light because we're in total darkness. I'm not sure. So it's kind of hard to say, but, um, you know, my ex-wife and I went up there and she claimed she was touched. And what's interesting about it is like, I I'm pretty quick to call bullshit on a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. But when she said that Betsy was also holding her hand on the other side and said, is the person to the left of me okay? And she's like, yes, I'm fine. So 
Huh. The, oh, yeah. Nikki, the oh, ex-wife, told yeah. me right before Betsy said that, and she said, I think somebody touched me. And Betsy then asked if she was okay. So I'm like, okay, this is weird. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm hearing yeah. from two different sources. I'm not visually seeing anything happening. But the fact that you can feel that energy is, is interesting to me at, at the very least. Do I think it's menacing? Do I think it's malevolent? No, of course not. I, I don't think so. And the myths and stories about Zeke are pretty endless from what I understand. Um, but uh, according, again, to seeaghost.com, one fact cannot be disputed. During the 1950s, people had seen a young physically deformed boy looking out of the third story rectangular windows and waving to pedestrians on the sidewalk below. Paparazzi of the time must have gone nuts. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I mean, um, I think the Lump Mansion got, uh, I believe it was bought out by the state of Missouri whenever they started developing uh, I-55. Was that in the 70s when it was actually turned into a I I wanted to say it was... It was late 70s when it became a restaurant, but... Barely in 1950, it became a boarding house. Yeah, oh, okay. that's right. That's right. So before so, 55's construction, the Lent Mansion yeah. was loaned out to the Marion Hospital, and the Marion Hospital was once like the old Kramer Mansion before it went into foreclosure mm-hmm. uh, at the start of like the Great Depression. After its foreclosure, the Kramer Mansion was converted into the Marion Hospital. Um, Marion Hospital used the Lent Mansion during the 1950s. As patient wards and mm-hmm. as a, yeah, as a uh, yeah. boarding house. Um, well, and that's what, with with these reports in the 50s, I am a skeptic. That doesn't mean I don't believe that people don't experience things, because I have heard a lot of crazy shit. Um, but if that was used as a boarding house, who's to say that wasn't somebody who lived there or a patient? Right, or- exactly. And that's what some people believe, is that if there is a deformed boy that you know, reports saw a deformed boy waving at them. It could have been, you know, he could have been a patient or a property of the state and, and not necessarily a member of the Lemp family. Or a specter. Right, right. Yeah. I'm just looking at things oh. here real quick. Yeah, so in the 70s, oh, they Oh, that's opened. right. So Zeke's, like... <laughs> Zeke's, uh, not pseudonym. What's the word I'm looking for? He was known as Zeke was known as the monkey face boy That's or right. the monkey That's boy. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But That's what I re- remember. I don't remember Zeke. I remember like the monkey boy. Yeah. Uh, apparently he was. You know the the rumor is that he was born with Down syndrome as well and as a deformity and um, was hidden away in the mansion's attic his whole entire life with Billy Lemp seeing it to, to the world that Zeke never saw the outside world. That, that's, that's the rumor. I, I don't know. Um, it, the stories vary uh, for sure. Um, however, uh, according to ghostlyworld.org, St. Louis historian Joe Gibbon stated that a former nanny and chauffeur attested to the boy existing and living in the attic, which also housed the servants rooms so hmm. uh, who knows it might not be might not be part of the, zeke might not be part of the lemp family but he might be part of the house and we might depending on zeke's history 
might just be inhabiting the house. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But I will say that, like, I, I know on every ghost tour that I went through, Betsy made it a point to, before you left, you had to say, okay, spirits, stay here. You're not allowed uh-huh. to go with me. And then you could exit. So it's not like Haunted Mansion. I think it was because of Haunted Mansion. She's like, oh, I need to employ this. So we can't have any of this. But um, yeah, I mean, if you are in the St. Louis area, I highly recommend. I mean, obviously. What no, about okay. uh, Patrick? Do you have any? Um, what is your experience with the Love Mansion? I mean, I so uh, I haven't necessarily had anything happen to me but for the past five years uh my sister Lindsay and i do this kind of pre-halloween adventure where we just go to like different places in st louis and one day different spooky locations and every year we go to lent mansion for either a lunch or a dinner and each time we're there we do get pretty creeped out and uh one point Lindsay uh, went to use the restroom. She got freaked out because she said the toilet flushed by itself. She said that every time she goes into the woman's restroom, she has this feeling like she's being watched. And what creeped me out by that was there's this book called Spirits of St. Louis. I can't remember the author's name, but I know Yana knows it because she is it Troy Taylor. It's not Troy Taylor, um, but in that book, there's a lot of firsthand accounts from Lent Mansion, and a lot of it's from employees who've worked there and or just people who've been there. But I can't remember. I, it's got to be the one that you've mentioned who was well, more more the womanizer of the Billy. Lens, Billy. Yeah. So people have reportedly Robbie Cordaway by the way Cordaway, okay it's a really cool book because it goes into different I think I owned it at one yeah time. it's it's and it's very creepy too Amazon wants like 47 bucks for it so Jeez. um <laughs> but there have been reports of him peeking over the woman's stalls <laughs> and so I remember reading that after Lindsay told him about the weird feeling she would get in the restroom and yeah, it's that was pretty spooky to hear about. But I mean, I never actually experienced anything. But what's cool though is like I never actually went on any tours there or anything. But uh, a couple of times that we've went on our yearly things that we go on uh, after eating dinner, we would just say, "Hey, can we? Is it okay if we go upstairs and just look around at, at the different rooms?" And so we did, and it was. It's a, that's always pretty cool, even just walking up there by yourself and nobody else is up there and getting creeped out. But uh, but I do remember talking to uh, one of the bartenders and he had some cool stories. And, you know, he would say there were thing, there are things that ha- would happen pretty regularly. Like he'd say, you know, you're closing down for the night and you would just hear somebody say your name right behind you. Nobody's there. And he's like, after a while, you get kind of used to it. And I can't imagine working in a place like that. Yeah. You know, even if you um, kind of used to it, I'd be like, Ugh. I, you know, 
don't have any experiences, but I did work in a building that was at one point owned and occupied by a beer baron. And I went all up and down that place. And a lot of people would get freaked out pretty easy. Um, the only times I really had bad feelings in that was um, in the private residence of August Bush, mm. which is above the kitchen. Yeah. Um, and he had an old sauna up there. And like just the energy of that of the upstairs and like that that's it's all ductwork now that's in the sauna like it's all been carved up and stuff but that's the only thing that's really made me uneasy oh yeah um in terms of and i spent a lot of nights closing that place walking through there making sure all the lights are off the doors are locked but never there was a couple things but i don't know if they were just electrical you know it's like um well, just it, it's stuff like that that kind of makes you question it, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, that wasn't. I got to correct myself. It wasn't Yana. It was Josh who had mentioned being in the men's room and the toilet oh, yeah. flushing by itself, and that freaked him out. But that could also be bad plumbing. I don't. Well, know. yeah, <laughs> it, exactly. And I mean, you're also dealing with a very old house, so yeah, that that's yeah, the yeah. skeptic side of you coming in and being like, okay, well, there's got to be a reason. Um, yeah, I, I would highly recommend, you know, like I said, um, most of my research was done by the Lemp, The Haunting History by Stephen P. K., uh, P. Walker. Uh, he, you know, a lot of history, um, because one of the other things that uh, we didn't really necessarily talk about is Billy was also, you know, before he committed suicide, his mother had cancer. And so there's a lot of like heavy shit happening around the time he committed suicide um had um somewhat related but had anybody actually been inside the brewery no so there are you know um the stable itself is been home to several businesses i remember when a small brewery was operating out of it called the stable i believe it was amalgamated brewing company um, I think that restaurant management group was not very good at running shit. It closed. They had an awesome like industry night that was like three dollar pints. Uh, pretty good pizza. It is now home to Bluid Brewing and uh, Max Local Eats. Probably the best burger in St. Louis runs a kitchen out of there. Yeah, it is uh, curbside only. Well, what's interesting is. Um, so Josh and Yana, well, who aren't yeah. on the episode, they got married at the Lemp Mansion outside mm-hmm. and then had a reception in the Lemp Hall, which right below that was Max yeah. Eats, well, right? Yeah. It is like above, yeah, the stable. The, so I believe it's called the Lemp Lofts. I think there's another okay. venue Yeah, there's a couple of different well. buildings. Yeah. Um, but the actual brewery itself I have been in back in like 2010 or 11. I know there's like the St. Louis haunts or St. Louis ghosts Mm -hmm. that are located in there, but there's a lot of uh, band space. Like, um, I don't even remember who the band was. It was, I don't even know what time it was. It was like 11 or 12 and we were up in there. No lights were on except for, you know, people who were in their kind of studios. Um, yeah, I've heard bands practicing there before. And... Yana from Josh and Yana fame was kind enough 
to record some lump stories to share with y'all. So I'm actually putting this in now before we close off the episode. Hi everyone, it's Yana with Destroy the Brain. And I did have a few lump stories I would like to share that are personal to me. So mine are kind of throughout, I guess you could say my life and someone in my family's life as I've known this house since a long time since I was a child. So I'll start out for my first story, which happened when I had to been about five or six. So we would go there for brunch and this is the one I specifically remember. We would, I want to say we'd go there almost every year, but it's just sporadic. And when we would go, so my great uncle has a historic house down there and they've known the lamp since they lived in that area, which was in the 1930s. And when I was probably about five or six, we went there for brunch And this is when they gave tours of the full house. I remember eating there and it being very fancy and me having to dress up. But two of the specific experiences that I had in that house is I remember walking to the bathroom and going in there. And I remember when I got to the sink, the faucets just turned on by themselves and I freaked out and I literally ran out of that bathroom crying. And as soon as I told my mom, she just looked at me and she's like, you're joking, right? And so she had to walk me back in there and they were off when we went back in there. And that was even creepier because no one else went in there. And I was petrified of going back in that bathroom. And that one always stuck with me just because I was standing a good amount of way and just seeing them move and not knowing what was going on. And that same day, I remember we, my great uncle, he took me down to the parlor because they were doing tours and he was friends with the person who actually owned the house at the time. I think he still owns the house to this day, if I'm correct. And... We walk, got to walk down there. I got to sit in the barber's chairs. And we went down to all the little areas, the kitchen area down there, which now you're not allowed to go down. And that breaks my heart. You can't do that anymore. I remember going out to the patio area and everything. And there used to be a door connecting you could go in and out of, which you can't do that either. And as we were walking through there, I, I remember being really scared just clinging to him the whole time. And he was like, no, there's nothing down here. But I kind of remember seeing a shadowy figure just in the background. I could have been my imagination as a child or not. But it was always one of those eerie feelings that someone was constantly watching you when you went room to room to room. That always stuck with me. And whenever we, we would go back, I would be very weary. I refused to go to the bathroom by myself and even you know walking around it just kind of gave you the creeps a little bit but that was the one I remember most vividly and funny thing is is years later here we are I ended up getting married there and it's kind of ironic seeing that and although I didn't experience anything staying in the room I will say when we were doing preparations and when we it was actually the taste testing we were in the carriage house which is actually further from the mansion itself it's in the corner of 
Lemp in Cherokee. We were in there, we came down, we were getting ready to leave, and Josh, who also does some articles for Destroy the Brain, my husband, he he went to the bathroom, and he had to go a couple floors down, and we had all, you know, were looking for him, and we had left. Then I went back in, I'm like, where is he? And I couldn't find him. We were waiting on the first floor for him. Well, he was in there, and while he was going to the bathroom, the toilet handle just flushed itself like he just saw the handle move down and he ran out of there and he ran to find us which is funny and and we were looking for him but when he told me that I'm just like I wasn't surprised I was just like holy shit that is awesome and as an adult I don't know if I were in that situation I'd probably run out too again as an adult but I'm just like well finally something happened to him and not me because usually I'm the one who sees the creepy shit and gets freaked out I think it's kind of interesting and you know it proves some of my theories but you know him seeing that kind of was a big deal and he still has not forgotten that and we could not figure out a scientific explanation for the handle on the toilet just flushing itself I mean something you really can't just like the faucets turning himself on there's no reason for that and it's just interesting that it happened in two different places so the other story is more regarding my family as my grandmother and her brothers and sisters, my great uncle and my great aunts, all grew up probably a block or two away from Lemp. It was in Utah. They had a four family flat and in the 1900s and then they bought a house a few blocks over in 1930. Well, when they were kids, they used to all go down there and this, my great aunt told me this story and it always creeped me out. But at the time, the Lemp Mansion was actually boarded up. And no one wanted to go in it. It pretty much was the ghost house of the block, the haunted house. Everyone's petrified of it. However, a lot of the local kids would get bored and just like they'd go into Cherokee Caves, they would go in Lemp and it would be a giant dare of who could last the longest. And my great aunt remembers my uncle's going in there all huffed up being like oh there's no ghosts in there we're not scared and you know we're gonna be fine and she was peering in the windows because she's like I really don't want to go in there and she said they all went in there and they were in there maybe 10-15 minutes and they came running out of there pale white and they ran all the way home and when she caught up to them she's like what happened and they would not talk about it and they said whatever they, they said there's something in there and they were never going back in again and she finally, she later kind of got out of them. They said they saw someone in there and it was not alive. And they just saw, just saw like, I guess, an apparition just down there. And they said they saw things move and they left. And they were in the basement area from what she said that they actually got down to that area. And those, you know, there's like a parlor, the pool, all that stuff down there. The pool has since been closed off. At that time, if I'm correct, you could actually go down there when all that was boarded up. But she always told me that that house scared her and she refused to go in it. Even when I was a child, she would never go there for brunch. My great uncle, even though he went in there, he's like, it's changed so much. They, it's not creepy anymore. But to me, it was still very creepy because, you know, a lot of the places, there are four people who did die in that house of suicide. And you hear all the stories about it. And there have been tons of experiences, especially I've heard in the downstairs area at the bars and also the carriage house where I had my wedding. So it's a very 
interesting place and I'm kind of glad nothing happened while we stayed there overnight because I I don't know what I do. I wanted something to happen, but I didn't, especially after all the stories I heard. But I highly recommend people go check out the mansion and I'd love to hear more stories of what other people experience. It's a house with a ton of history and I've always been drawn to it. Not just the Lemp Mansion, but the paranormal in general fascinates me. So I feel like the Lemp just has a sad, unfortunate history, but it is an absolutely beautiful house that just draws everyone in to learn about the family and all the tragedies that happened there. And to see it over time go from this bolstering wealthy family and house to sitting abandoned for years and people just breaking in for fun. And then to going what it is now a bed and breakfast. So I hope you enjoyed my stories. Thank you. Just as an FYI, uh, if you're interested, you can go to lentmansion.com slash hauntedhistory.htm. According to that site, special haunted tours are happening. The next one, and technically the last one, is uh, for this year, it seems, or at least this month, October 28th. Uh, these tours are $35 plus tax per person, includes a cocktail or a soft mm. drink, light mm. appetizers, and homemade cookies before the tour starts. <laughs> Betsy, who is still doing these tours, will then give you a complete history of the Lemp Mansion uh, family and brewery along with these ghost tours. You will tour three floors of the Lemp Mansion and a dark room session will be conducted at the end of the tour and Betsy will attempt to make Psychic communication. Uh, reservations are required and full payment is due when the reservations are made. So, yeah, um, next Wednesday, if you are listening to this in time, you could actually uh, get this done. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> doesn't say anything about wearing a mask. So, <laughs> ah, I, would I think that's being enforced. Um, yeah. We, the city of St. Louis is still on a mandate. Um, for that in public places and most businesses if they're not shitty bars are requiring that mm -hmm. and apparently um you know outside of october it looks like uh these they have monday tours which are 25 dollars plus tax mm -hmm. so ten dollars less but i don't think you get any of the cocktails or um appetizers or homemade cookies mm -hmm. that's why you bring your own yeah if you're too scared to go on the tour you can always eat outside yeah but yeah, you can contact them for more information. Uh, again, lentmansion.com, you can find out all this information. They're also apparently having the Halloween party as well. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to do it. <sighs> this is not the year. <laughs> not the no, year. but... But yeah. I would say, you know, if we get back to somewhat normal uh, and you haven't toured the Lump Mansion or gone to the restaurant, I highly recommend you do. Uh, it's a pretty big history of uh, St. Louis that, that can be found there. And uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a wrap for the Lump Legacy. Yeah. Oh, I do have one question. Um, in 2010, mm -hmm. there was a grocery store out in Warrington. And I remember at about, about this time, Lindsay said she had had it, she'd had it too. Uh, but they were actually selling Lent beer. Did somebody buy uh, Lent beer? Yes. So they have. Was that? Um, Lent, the Lemp. The Lemp name had been um, 
I don't know who. Well, no, no, no. So that's that was a recent development last year. But back in 2000, oh, I want to say yeah. five is when they started um, rebottling it. And it was contract brewed. I know it was somebody like on the East Coast, but it was contract brewed up in Stevens Point, Wisconsin at the Stevens Point Brewery, which is one of the biggest contract brewers in the country. Um, I drank quite a bit of it from 2005 to 2011. I liked it. Um, That was their dark lager that they made, which before Prohibition was the most popular. Dark lagers were the like number one beer style in St. Louis. Um, It wasn't really until after that that more of the pale effervescent ones took over like Budweiser and Miller. But there's good news Last year, I saw that article, maybe it was about a year ago, where they were going to make a batch of, like, a take on the classic Lemp. Yeah, I thought it was, like, batch number one, resurrected Lemp or something like that. I don't know what happened to that. I don't know. I I loved it. No. So Good News has two locations. They are in O'Fallon, Missouri, and they are also in Cottleville. Okay. Um, Mm. I looked. When we started talking about this episode, I looked on their website to see if they had done another batch. They had not. Yeah, it sounds like it was a one-time thing. There's no shortage of beer in this town, that's for sure. Even in these. Um, I'd say check out Earthbound on Cherokee for something that's local to it and places that could probably use the business right now. Doing to go. I don't know how long the contract for Lemp is with good news, but hopefully somebody can get it and maybe get some more out there. Yeah, I hope so. Cool. All right, Patrick, where can people find you on the interwebs? I'm on Twitter at Max Rebo Rules and Instagram at Patikin Skywalker. Jeremy? I am on Twitter at jbonesy with a Z and Instagram quarantine at Camp Blood. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and all the, any other fucking social network under Treefy, T-R-I-E-F-Y. You can find us as a collective on Twitter and Instagram, at Destroy the Brain. Uh, again, thanks to everybody for contributing to Horror Trivia Night. Next episode will be out next Friday, not bi-weekly. We're, we oh. got to come to you before Halloween. And Patrick is pretty much going to spearhead this one. I'm very excited. And uh, we're going to be talking about the Roland Doe case. Again, if you're not familiar with Roland Doe, it's the, pretty much the exorcism of Roland Doe. Pretty and uh, the pretty much basis for The Exorcist, the infamous movie and book by William Peter Blatty. So thank you all for joining. Hopefully you learned something. Um, hopefully everybody drank a beer while we were listening <laughs> or while they were listening. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week. Adios. Disappointed, my heart is joined. There's something that's addling my mind. I'm on the blink. I just can't think there's no cure I can find. Oh, Lord. I'm going to bathe myself in a folly acid. 
any day pound a pair of screens. Don't you want a hit of a box of metal? And wash them down with gasoline. Mm-hmm. Then I'll hang myself to a wheel. 